From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We're continuing our In Her Boots podcast series with Rachel Armstrong of Farm Commons, talking about empowering women farmers to take charge of our businesses and manage risk effectively. Farming is unpredictable with lots of inputs we cannot control. Rachel helps us navigate and plan for what we can with a particular focus today on direct marketing value-added products. Rachel is the founder and executive director of Farm Commons, a nonprofit organization that exists to empower farmers to understand and create their own solutions to business law challenges in an ecosystem of support. She strives to make farm law approachable and relevant to every farmer. We are continuing our In Her Boots podcast series with Rachel Armstrong of Farm Commons, talking about a lot of things under the risk umbrella, but really as is your mission with Farm Commons of empowering farmers, empowering women farmers to take charge, right? And not run away from things that might be risky, or as you were talking about in an earlier episode, as you personally said, of embracing risk, right? I mean, really... Anybody who gets into farming inherently thrives on risk, right? There's This must be the most unpredictable business around in that you can't control the weather, you can't control a lot of other variables and inputs, but you can control your plan and how you approach it. And that's what I find really refreshing that do your research, but bottom line, act. And Increasingly, in a good way, farmers are acting to diversify their businesses and do value-added products, especially amongst women, of not putting all our eggs in one income basket. Makes sense, right? But when we start even thinking about value-added products, however, whatever they may be at this point uh, in the discussion, it's it's a whole other category, right? I mean, it's something to educate yourself about. Or what would you... Right. advise a farmer, hey, I'm making tomatoes. I think I might make salsa or other to right. start. I want to talk about two particular risks that people don't think about when they start adding value to to farm products. The first one is zoning. You can actually be prohibited from conducting value-added operations on your property. A lot of people don't realize that. They say, well, I mean, I'm zoned agricultural. I am a farm, so I'm good, right? Well, the weird thing is that, well, although that's very true, you might, you're probably zoned agricultural and you certainly are a farm. Once you start adding value to farm products, you're not acting within the definition of a farm anymore. Farming is often defined as something like the production and marketing of crops and livestock, but it doesn't include taking that extra step to add value to a farm product. That's the part that I think 
we just don't realize, or right. we think it's all food, but it's not. It's, it's not one big food umbrella. Exactly. It's not one big food umbrella. So let's say you're a farm and all of a sudden next door, you know, this, this gigantic cannery goes in or freezing, you know, operation, or all of a sudden someone starts, you know, a, a, a tea operation that's going to supply tea worldwide and massive dryers and things like that. We all know that's not what we expect. And we all know that that's not what we're doing, you know, on our farm. But when the zoning code endeavors to define agriculture, it does not include often because you know, you have to read your own code, but it often does not include things like canning, drying, freezing, processing, making jam, jellies, all of that is commercial. And so to do that, those specific commercial activities need to be allowed or not disallowed within your zone. The bummer part is that this risk often creeps up over time. So, you know, you start freezing some raspberries or you start making some, some jam in your home kitchen or something like that, and nobody really knows you're doing it. And even if they do, they don't care. There's no problem. It's once you become successful that you could be the victim of your own success. Mm. So that jam operation is looking really good, and you decide to build a building to house a better kitchen to do this more. Or you start saying, well, now I'm going to plant currants and I'm going to make this other jam. And as things scale up, what you're doing becomes more noticeable and has a slightly different impact on the land. All of a sudden your neighbor says, well, I, I didn't want to look at that other shed that you put up, that other building to do this other thing. Or maybe you start doing some on-farm sales or you have delivery trucks coming in and bringing you stuff and people start saying, well, that's, what not, that's not what I thought your farm was going to do. And hey, wait, I don't think that's allowed. So then you've developed this enterprise that is so important to the success of your farm that you've invested in. Maybe you have inve you've sought financing and things like that. And now all of a sudden you're finding out that the zoning code is not going to support the expansion of this operation. That's what we want to avoid. That's what Farm Commons wants to avoid. That loss, the devastation to the individual who finds this out, and the community dis disruption. We don't want to live in communities where our neighbors are like secretly griping about the cool things that we're doing. So it's, uh, it's, it's something that we should look at early on. We should become familiar with what our zoning code will and potentially won't support for the expansion of our businesses into value-added and diversification. Same with things like um, hosting zucchini festival. You know, the zucchinis are strong and you want to build, you want some sort of community building event that celebrates the produce on your farm. That hosting a simple thing like zucchini festival might come with having to seek a permit, having to rent a certain amount of porta potties and place them in a certain area and have a minimum number of parking spaces and egress ways for emergency vehicles to get in and out. And all of a sudden you're like, I just wanted to celebrate zucchini for a day, you know, but that just is how it goes. So, and it, it helps if we can reflect on some of the safety values We've all been driving on, you know, two-lane country road when somebody's going to make a left-hand turn, when someone's parking on the side of the road, and we can begin to appreciate some of the safety concerns. And that is what zoning is also there to protect us from, to make sure that we don't go over a rise in the hill and all of a sudden <laughs> people are in the road walking to this festival. Sure. And what would you advise somebody, using your, your jam example, I mean, literally starting small, maybe not a home kitchen, but they're thinking of 
putting a commercial kitchen in or something that might right. start scaling up a little bit to, I don't even say address, but I mean, to, to do what you want us to right. do, you know, cause zoning just seems to always have such a barrier, uh, at least image, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have to, right? Everything can be changed. Everything yeah. can be communicated. Yeah. But you need a little strategy. So I acted like this was relatively straightforward. You go look at the zoning code and it says, you can't make jam. Or it says, you can make jam. The reality is a little different. It usually doesn't say anything about jam. It's usually pretty gray. Because we didn't think that farmers would be making jam. We thought they would just sell their raspberries to someone else, somewhere else, in some commercial area who would make the jam. Now that we're looking at doing that a little bit ourselves, our zoning codes haven't caught up to that. They just don't deal with it. This is a blessing and a curse. Mm. It's a curse because we don't like this uncertainty. We want to know that we can do it. But it's a blessing because it means that we have the we're in a position to persuade. We can say, hey guys, I, I see there's a little bit of gray area here in terms of some on-farm processing, but we should we should be encouraging this in our communities. This is right for the preservation of agricultural heritage and rural communities. I'm going to tell you why and Oftentimes the person you're telling why is just your neighbors, it's your friends, it's the people who are active in local government, maybe people who run, um, serve on the zoning boards or in the city or municipal or township offices or where the county, wherever the case may be. Those are the people that you're telling, we have, we have a little bit of uncertainty here, but let's work together to resolve this so that operations like mine can thrive and we can all have the quality of life we want. And in a very collaborative tone there too, where it's not just you. I think mm-hmm. too often, and I can't blame it. I mean, if, if you feel like your back's against the wall or, or your whole business success is dependent on one person's decision, right. it can be easy to start attacking. But I loved how you just described that. And to do something like that, period, you know, whether or not you're going to open this jam business, but it has to do with education continually that... Farming doesn't fit into one box anymore. And that's good, actually, by the way. Uh, And for people, often the case where a farm is the first one doing something, the first one doing some on-farm food service or a farm stay Mm -hmm. or an on-farm commercial kitchen, it's new, therefore it's scary, Mm -hmm. right, to Mm -hmm. other people. But it uh, needs to be explained in a way like you just were talking about and not attacking which is easy to do. I know. Yeah. I do think that that my action points are a disappointment to those of us who are not type A personalities. You know, many of people like myself would prefer to sit down with a good book at the end of the day and not be out there glad handing and, you know, making friends. I got enough friends. I don't need more, you know? <laughs> so it's hard. And and oftentimes those are the types that are in rural areas and are farming because they don't need, you know, the energy um, of urban areas and lots of people close by to them. It's harder when you're that type of a person, you know, you just want somebody to, you just want to follow the rules and mind your own business. But this is the way that zoning works. Um, And we do need a longer term strategy. So maybe it is convincing your relative or your spouse or your kid or some other advocate that you have to help you take on this issue and to help you do the handshaking and, you know, uh, talk with the, the power players to achieve your goals over time. 
Are there other risks related to value-added products? We're talking about zoning, right? but other things for folks to think about? The other thing I would caution people about, once you start doing value-added production, you are considered not agriculture for purposes other than just zoning. So let's take that lesson, that seed I tried to plant right there. Okay, now you're not agriculture. That applies to more than just zoning. The second area where you need to be careful about not being agriculture anymore is insurance. Most folks have a farm liability policy. It's going to cover, you know, the barn if it burns down, you know, the feed supplier, um, if he or she trips and breaks a leg while they're there. It is not going to cover non-farm commercial operations. As we just discussed, making jam is a non-farm commercial operation. You need a separate line of insurance to cover the bad things that might happen from that. The loss of product, the person who is injured delivering you sugar, not, you know, animal feed. Um, If someone comes on farm to buy your jam, not your raspberries, you need a different policy to address those particulars. Generally, what you need is a commercial line of insurance. You can usually add that on to your farm policy for your commercial enterprises, or you can just get a separate commercial line of insurance. The only way to know is to ask your agent which is going to be right and which is going to be most cost-effective for the particular thing you're doing. If you're real small, you might just just need what's often called a business endorsement. So something that can be added on for low cost. Uh, And it's never too early to start that conversation with your insurance agent. If what you're doing is really going to be costly to insure over time, you want to know that before. Before you invest in the equipment or start doing too much too much business planning or planning your marketing, knowing without knowing your insurance costs are going to be far more than you thought they would be. Sure, sure. And especially if, again, things don't fit boxes, Mm -hmm. it's hard. Because going back to what you were talking about zoning, I've often seen that where relationships, unfortunately, start a little adversarial from the start because somebody, a farmer has what may be a great vision of something. Wedding barns are a great example, I find, Mm -hmm. locally by us, because somebody calls, I mean, don't call zoning and say you want to do a wedding barn. There's no checkbox for that. Exactly. And do your research casually in conversations, whatever, what it is that you want, what box it fits in, Mm -hmm. maybe, and let's start there. And it falls under something like itinerant dance hall saloon. I mean, it's like this archaic weird language that turns people off like that's not what I am oh yeah that's what you are when it comes do you want this piece of paper to go through Mm -hmm. or change it but that takes you know more but find what box you fit in and roll from there Mm -hmm. is what really helps those conversations go and and you're on each other's side right like you're saying and there may not even be the you know itinerant dance saloon box at all, but you still have to find another one. So maybe there's a, maybe there's like a temporary restaurant box. Absolutely not a temporary restaurant. Well, maybe you want to be for the purposes of, you know, of this conversation. So yeah, be open to a wide range of possibilities. At the end of the day, you want to accomplish your goals and you want people to feel good about what you're doing for the community. That's the bottom line. You're right. What you're called in the process. uh, Take heed. Totally. Great. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. 
For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.